Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. All right, so for today, my very first podcast for Teacher Tales is a very special guest that I have. I really thought about teaching a lot, had a career in teaching, and I know that we're all teachers as parents, and we're teachers in a profession formally. And so I thought, what, you know, who better to have on as my first guest than my very own daughter, who chose to become a teacher and has had a very long and successful career teaching as well. So I'd like to introduce my daughter, Laura Markley, and welcome her to the podcast as my first very special guest. And so, Laura, tell me a little bit about where you're teaching and what you're teaching right now. Hello there. Hi. Um, First of all, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be your first guest. I know teachers everywhere are undoubtedly going to get a lot out of this podcast. I teach fourth grade in Orlando, Florida, and this is going to be my 20th year of teaching. I'll be starting here in in a few weeks. Wow, am I really that old? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, thank you. You get a gold star. Because <laughs> if you're that old, that means I'm that old. And that's a, that's a no. <laughs> no, no, we can, we can deny that for sure. So you've taught ESOL students for a long time. And last year, you taught gifted. And you're going to teach gifted this year again? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, out of the 19 years, I think I've done approximately 13 in fourth grade and six in third grade. And the majority of those years were with sheltered ESOL, either third graders or fourth graders. Mm -hmm. You know, I have volunteered in your classroom a lot and got to see you in action with the kids. And um, you certainly were and still are a gift to uh, children, especially the, the ESOL children. They had, you know, a lot of nurturing and and grew a lot in their language skills and also in their academic skills as a result of having you. And even with gifted children, you were able to really modify everything that you did to meet their needs and stuff. So, So we're going to talk a little bit about that more later, but I guess we'll just start with the basics. Like, why did you become a teacher? I remember when I was in first grade, um, I say I remember, we still have the the drawing that I created in first grade, um, saying what I wanted to be when I grew up. And according to this drawing, going back as far as when I was six years old, I wanted to be a teacher. And I think that's in part just because of genetics. 
and, um, you know, growing up with you as a teacher. And in addition to that, knowing that through teaching, it's a way of kind of honoring a, a lifelong love of learning and then also wanting to help children and try to ignite um, a love of learning in, in young people as well. Mm-hmm. I think you make a really good point about that. And, you know, my experience with being a teacher, working with teachers as a supervisor and doing a lot of workshops with teachers, that seems to be, you know, a very common thread is that many became teachers because they love learning and they want to impart that love of learning to uh, children and, and to their students, which, you know, we all call our children um, as teachers. They're always our kids. So, so we try to influence kids to love learning, but also sometimes we influence our students to become a teacher them, you know, themselves. They get that love for learning embedded in them and they go on to become teachers themselves. And so are there any specific teachers that you can remember that influenced you a great deal in elementary or high school or college or? Um, the teachers that I remember being the most impacting on me in elementary school were the ones that were warm, genuine. Um, I remember specifically my first grade teacher, Mrs. Floyd. I still have a book that she gave me. It's the um, Titanic Lost and Found. And she signed the inside cover of it. And 30 something years later, I still have the copy of that book. I also remember that she had a little wooden figurine of a tree and she would stick gumdrops on the ends of each branch of the tree and she talked about how this was a like magical gumdrop tree and I very distinctly have memories as a first grader of thinking that I could see the tree branches moving slightly indicating the magical power of this tree and we got to have a gumdrop off off one of the branches as a reward for something so teachers like Mrs. Floyd um, my third grade teacher Mrs. Barger they were um, genuinely warm people that their memory sticks with me. As far as high school, my AP US history teacher in 11th grade, Mrs. Benty, she was someone who didn't take herself very seriously. She was kind of irreverent and um, she took a subject matter that was extremely dry, US history, and a textbook that was extremely dry. And she would turn our discussions and daily conversations into something that was funny, silly, She didn't care how she looked in front of the class, whether it was wearing a cone head or creating um, extended shirt sleeves out out of sheets of paper. But she definitely made an impact on me. And then in college, I definitely had an affinity for two of my professors, Dr. Dershimer and Dr. Lovell. They both stood out because they genuinely seemed like they cared about me as a person and they went out of their way to take interest in me as a person. It wasn't just that they were grading my assignments or my essays. It wasn't just that they were um, expecting me to go student teach and perform. They were there if I needed them. In fact, I got kicked out of my senior internship in February after only being there for about a month, and Dr. Dershimer physically came to me and um, said, get in, and I got in her Buick, and she drove me to a new 
elementary school to be placed with a brand new teacher. I mean, we just, we literally walked in in the middle of a lesson and the, the, the teacher said, sure, come on in, I'll, I'll take an intern. And I don't know that any other professors would have done that. So Dr. Dershmore and Dr. Lovell definitely went above and beyond and made me feel special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are, I mean, some characteristics that I hear from uh, students and, and other teachers is that, that warm factor, very authentic and warm and inviting, um, but also humor. You know, sometimes you have to develop a sense of humor in teaching in order to make it through the day. And, mm -hmm. um, and kids know whether you care or not. And if they know that you care, they will go above and beyond. And if they know that you're interested in them as a person, then they'll go above and beyond as well. So those are, you know, really important characteristics to have as a teacher and certainly memorable ones and everything. I remember when you were graduating from college, I asked family members to write a letter to you about their teacher and what they remembered the most about them. And I thought it was really interesting that most of the males in the family didn't like school and didn't want to write a letter about a favorite teacher. They didn't really have one. And then all of the women or aunts and cousins and, you know, that grandmothers and stuff like that, they all said things like they loved that caring spirit or giving hugs and what the teacher wore or how, how the teacher smelled. smelled. Yes. And so a lot of them said they liked that the teacher would read books out loud to them. A lot mm -hmm. of them said they remembered read alouds. Yeah, and I think me, making that personal connection, I know during the pandemic when remote teaching had to happen and everything, so many teachers were hurting and still are, but the way that they could connect with their students was still through a lot of those affective ways, like just getting on Zoom and talking to their, their children, their students just hearing their voice, giving them virtual hugs, you know, sending them personalized letters and notes. And I mean, you can't really smell the teacher over Zoom, but you certainly can embrace them and show that you're interested in what they're doing and that you care. And so that's the legacy and that's the impact that I think everyone has figured out that teachers have, especially during the pandemic, that teachers are the glue that hold society together and they are constantly nurturing and growing children every day in, you know, in their hearts. It's not just about the academics. So what do you feel is your, your greatest purpose every day as a teacher to your students? I think the answer to that has evolved over the course of my career. I think if I were to have answered that question in the first 10 years or so, it probably would have been more, uh, my answer driven more by academic content. I've never been someone who's been extraordinarily uh, gifted at getting through the entire scope and sequence or, or pacing guide for the year. But throughout the years, the longer I've taught, and honestly, coming to an urban area and teaching in a, in a bigger city has also influenced the change in my answer. And I think that my biggest purpose now is not necessarily one of just vessel to transfer knowledge or to transfer content, but to also inspire a love of learning 
I mean, that's that's always been a given, but to also model um, coping skills and self-care skills and to not to, I don't want to say, you know, be, become their friend, but to basically create relationships with them. I think that's definitely something that over the years has, I've seen the, the value um, increase for sure is in creating a, a relationship with my students. Because if I don't have the relationship I need with them um, and vice versa, then it's it's kind of a, a frivolous idea to think that I will really engage them in meaningful learning or that they will be ready to take in new information or 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 you know academics, especially if they're they are a reluctant learner or um, you know there are days when I'm teaching and based on the relationships we've built, it's easy for me to say, okay guys, um, I know the past couple days in math our learning goals have been fairly simple, but guess what? We're going to try something new today. It's going to be long division, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's really long. They call it long division for a reason, and and it's unlikely that any of us are going to be able to master this learning goal just after one day. I can guarantee in so many years of teaching, what you're going to feel is frustration, and it's going to be completely normal. Normal, and you're going to be so excited when we are, you know, we've accomplished it four or five days later, and you'll be so proud of yourself that you were able to tackle something so difficult. So, in that situation, yes, that's teaching them and conveying an academic goal, but also being a cheerleader for them, modeling for them that something might not come easy easily to them, modeling that it might be really frustrating, and that's perfectly okay, and it's going to take time. And so that kind of relationship, it has, I think it's a big part of my purpose. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, it, the key is relationship and it's not just interacting with the content because we found that with the distance learning, remote teaching is that the relationship was very hard to maintain. Teachers were missing their students and students were missing their teachers. They had the relationship there, but it was a little harder to keep that connection going that you can in the classroom. But that's key to the learning is the relationship and um, knowing that there's a partnership and they, you know, you're doing it together and that they're, you're there for them and they're there for you. So what do you find um, to be the most challenging as a teacher, um, either in the current situation or in the past? What, what is most challenging to you? In the course of the past maybe five years or so, there's been a big focus on data, formative assessments, and accountability by the district, and um, you know teacher evaluations, and kind of in a nutshell, saying please do twice as much with half as many resources. And it's extremely challenging. I mean, you might hear from some teachers that, you know, students are challenging or parent issues are challenging. But my my reflection after being in the classroom for so many years is kids are kids. People are people. And the issue is, is not really um, anything having to do with kids, in my opinion. It's being asked to do more than I've ever been expected to do, but with very, very limited resources, whether it's technology, whether it's time in a day, whether it's um, um, trying to, you know, uh, 
do things that it just implement things that um, I don't have very much control over. So I, I and I, I get the feeling from other teachers just based on on you know social media and talking to friends and stuff. This is kind of a universal theme around the country is that teachers are feeling overwhelmed. They're being asked to do a lot and being given very very little in return um, to accomplish this. So that's in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I, yes. And, and with that um, has been, have come to the surface, a lot of teachers feeling like they're never enough, um, that they're never doing enough, they don't have enough support, they don't have enough um, belief in them as professionals to be able to do their jobs that they're just not enough and that's just a basic human need if you look at maslow and that's why the whole hashtag maslow over blooms is so critical now because we're looking at the classroom and at students and at teachers and everybody in education from a place of lack that they're not enough and that they're not measuring up to the bar graphs or the, you know, the pie charts or the, the, the data, um, the, the learning goals and raising the bar and trying to become that a school and all of this stuff. And it's not about the checklists or the data or the testing, the standardized testing. Uh, it's about children and it's about, you know, teachers, it's about human beings and it's about having everyone feel like, they are enough that whatever learning gains they have they're enough that they get enough food you know when they're and they're not hungry in school or they get enough resources as teachers or as students you know the internet whether they had the internet to be able to do distance learning and they're just there are a lot of things that we could could do to make everyone feel like enough and we could take away the testing and all of that other stuff to start with. So I've seen it change tremendously over, you know, my career, which was 40 years in the, you know, in the classroom and, and still going. And I work more with teachers now and, you know, districts and stuff like that. And there's that, you know, overarching feeling of um, lack and not enough and anxiety. So that's part of the reason for this, podcast and for my spirit of teaching website and everything is to uh, tell teachers that they are enough and to hear stories from teachers like you that have you know stayed in the teaching profession 20 years and you've made an impact on many 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 children's lives so having said that um, can you tell a story of maybe a, a of a student we all have our you know, a little storybook of special students that we made a difference in their life and uh, or they've come back to tell us what a big impact they had on their lives. Do you have a, you know, one or two you can share uh, of students that you remember that maybe were particularly more challenging, um, how you were able to build that relationship with them and make a difference, which is what really we all want to do as teachers? Uh, nowadays, we are strongly discouraged from retaining students. Um, however, 10, 15 years ago, we were still able to make a case for 
asking parents if they would be willing to give their child a second chance to catch their breath, basically, to catch up with the content of that grade level. And I even would present it to certain parents by saying, you know, I, I understand that you have um, several children. Um, if you think back to when each of your children were younger, you know, did each of them start walking at the exact same age? And they would say, no. And say, did, did each of them start to talk at exactly the same age? And they were like, no, no, you know, this child was, you know, talking really early and this one a little bit later. And so I said, it kind of, to me, seems very similar in school where maybe this one particular child could just use a, another year to catch her breath or catch his breath and um, become more confident and comfortable with material, thus hopefully setting them up for some success as we go down the line. And so kind of to the end um, to that point um, some of my most memorable students were ones that I had for two years in a row and to see their transformation and to see how happy they were with themselves and their progress by the end of year two it made such an impact and I'm hoping that it wasn't just an impact for third grade or just an impact for fourth grade but I'm hoping that it's something that sort of set them up for success entering fifth grade and beyond. Um, kind of the flip side, a student that I had that has, she's remained in my life to this day is, um, she actually wasn't my student. She was someone that I started tutoring in third grade. I was a third grade teacher. She was in another third grade teacher's class and I started tutoring her. And that was maybe in 2005, 2006. And so I, I'm still in contact with her now 15, 16 years, 14 years later. And um, she was, she's an extremely bright, bright person, but just needed some extra confidence building in math. So I tutored her through high school in math and just found that boosting her confidence and giving her strategies and then really just taking the time to try to understand where her where she was making mistakes was was uh, very impacting because what I found even as my in my own experience as a as a struggling math student in junior high or high school was that it was embarrassing to raise my hand and ask for help and then I would say at least half of the time I had a teacher that was not super excited to pull a small group or it actually as I say that no one ever pulled a small group it was usually just someone standing at an overhead projector teaching math concepts and then assigning some pages in the book and they would go sit at their desk and if you had questions you probably should lean over and ask a neighbor so to be able to work with um, this girl on math strategies confidence building it definitely i think made an impact on me and and made an impact on her as well so kind of the two different student examples where you know, a student needed some extra support and I would teach them for a second year and then also students needing, you know, private one-on-one -on -one help and hopefully boosting their confidence to, to help them feel comfortable in math, not only from elementary school, but all the way through college. Mm -hmm. So what do you love the most about your students? Like each one's um, individual and special in their own way, but... I mean, what brings you most joy and what do you 
love the most about your students? This is going to sound really terrible, but to be honest, one of my least favorite days is the first day of school. And I think a big part of that is not necessarily just because it's kind of a, a crazy day in general where you don't really have a lot of your routines and procedures and stuff in place. And, but you don't know your, your kids very well. And, and I'm somewhat of a stranger to them and they're strangers to me. And so a big part of what I love about my students is being able to build those relationships with them where I know about their family. I know about the students' hobbies. I know about their pets. And in knowing about them and what makes them tick and, and you know how their life is going, then it becomes like instead of a job or going to work every day, it becomes like going and, and spending time with people that you genuinely like. And even in spite of, you know, the bad days that I might have or the bad days that they might have at the end of the day, I look forward to going and seeing them and exploring new content together, um, making new connections together, joking with them, having them joke back with me. And that's been one of the most rewarding things. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, there is um, a certain level of um, feeling of accomplishment and happiness if they just happen to do better on a test, especially if it's a standardized test. But that by no means is what um, brings me and keeps me in the profession. Mm -hmm. It's the relationships. Mm -hmm. I, I was a language teacher. I've taught everything from pre-kindergarten through college age. And yeah, the relationship building was the most rewarding and critical, but teaching languages. And I think you probably did this with um, your ESOL kids. You are constantly having to give input and you're trying to come up with questions to get information, to get them to use the language. But by doing that and asking them questions and personal questions like, what is your favorite sport? Or, you know, what is your favorite thing to do on Sunday? Or who is your favorite aunt or uncle? Or, you know, what do you like on your pizza? And they seem like really simple questions, but they become really important, big stepping stones in that relationship to getting to know your kids. And you really connect with them. I mean, I had very... Um, connected relationships and knew my students very well because of that. And I think as teachers, we really need to remember that all the time to stop and ask those questions and show that interest in our students and get to know them and build that relationship. Because not only does it benefit them, but it benefits us as well um, in, in the learning journey and uh, the, you know, the teaching path uh, in education. And with this, you know, all of this testing, and I know I've seen and heard from you the frustration of having to give, um, you know, like benchmark assessments and everything, and it taking time, especially in ESOL where they knew very few words, and they were still expected to take these same tests, and it was really just a waste of time, and you could have spent your time better building that relationship, asking those questions, comforting your students with stories or things that were more personal to them and their lives and their needs. So, um, so I, I think time, like you said earlier, is so critical and, and we have so little of it now in the classroom.
and it's very micromanaged by too many things that don't matter. And we saw them go out the window with the pandemic starting. Like the world didn't implode and, and children didn't like vanish poof because they didn't take a you know standardized test and pass it. You know, schools still exist without the school grades. So definitely. Definitely. And and kind of going back to the points you're making about English language learners. Um, I mean, relationships are important with any of your students, but with those students in particular, many of them were not only, they were new to the United States, but a lot of them were fleeing, essentially they were refugees. They were fleeing Venezuela. They were fleeing, um, you know, unsafe parts of Brazil. They had witnessed things in their, in their um, home country that uh, were warranted their families moving and uprooting and coming to the United States. And so that already puts those students not only, I mean, they're in a position where they don't know the language um, and they're probably going through some trauma. And so my job, uh, what I focused on was, yes, I need to teach you standards, but I, I have to be able to, connect with you on a personal level and if I can connect with you through trying to speak Spanish to you or joking about the Brazilian football players or making comments about um, certain foods from your heritage country, those little connections show the students that you care about who they are and you're not just focused on what they know. And so by making, by, by building that relationship with them, it can then open up to, all right, you know, learning the alphabet, learning phonics, which as a fourth grade teacher, that was something that I was not very comfortable with for the longest time. I, you know, being by fourth grade, they say, you know, you, you read to learn, you don't learn to read. And so having to sort of take a step back and meet my students where they are just that in the past five years or so, uh, whether it's my enrichment students from last year or the English language learners from years prior, it's really um, the concept of meeting your students where they are is something that I've come to very um, sort of, uh, I, I've come to sort of um, cling to it because it works no matter what age group, no matter what subject area you teach, meeting them where they are. Yes, you have a curriculum and yes, there are standards, but that shouldn't be the first priority. Mm -hmm. And um, by using those relationships, that will help you get to where you need to be. Or maybe it doesn't get you where you need to be, but we're a heck of a lot closer. I can remember with my, my English language learners, they're for at the beginning of the year, our average on those assessments we had to take, it might be like a 14% cumulatively, but by the next assessment, our average would be 28. And so we'd, we'd, we'd joke, we'd say it's 28, you know, a really great, great, well, no, probably not, it's, it's enough. But you know what, it's a heck of a lot better than a 14, so look at how far we've come. And then by the next mm -hmm. assessment, it would be 37, and look how much we're improving. And bit by bit, we would make gains and not feel um, overwhelmed and that we couldn't do it because of, of all the hurdles that we needed to face. Yeah, I think you, a couple of things you said there that really resonated with me and, and especially with the spirit of teaching and what I mean by spirit 
all of these things that we've talked about, relationships and the effective domain and teachers caring about their students and being able to show that. Uh, in many ways and it not being about just the tests and just the data and just this, you know, the checklists and making sure that we're following, you know, the prescribed uh, PD, you know, that they've told us we have to do. The whole thing was spirit. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're human beings. We're not human doings. And if we focus on the doing and the competition and the goals and striving for more, 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 again, we get back to that. We're never enough. Are we ever going to get there? Because I taught in a very high performing school, one of the top 10 in the nation. And our lowest 25% was far and above, you know, the highest of the average in schools mm -hmm. and we were still trying to eke out the least little bit of learning gains for those kids but these kids were already outstanding exceptional mm -hmm. human beings um, or doings i should say human doings but really a lot of what we had to work on was the human being part like uh being kind to one another having rituals in the school that would show that they had grown as a person. We had a senior project where they had to, we called it a rite of passage, where they would explore something besides academics, because that's, there's more to life than just the academics and that sort of thing. So focusing on them as human beings instead of human doings, um, I think is really uh, the essence of the spirit of teaching. So I think, you know, I would like to just move on to what I, how I want to kind of end each podcast is with a, a little rapid fire, you know, like just finish my sentence for me. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. And this is capturing the spirit of teaching and the essence of, you know, why are we having these standardized tests and multiple choice or you know, true faults or whatever. Uh, it should be personalized learning. And every, like you said, child learns at a different pace, in a different way. And we should make allowances for that. And the education should come from that heart-centered place instead of uh, a bar graph or a pie chart or, you know, a mm -hmm. number on a scale. So just mm -hmm. finish these sentences for me. Okay. Teaching is hard work and hard work. My students are just as good of teachers to me as I try to be to them. Learning happens when you're open and, and ready for it. I hope my students remember me as <laughs> <laughs> I hope they remember me as somebody who cared about them deeply and was passionate, whether it was, you know, squawking at them every October that Christopher Columbus, in fact, did not discover America <laughs> to um, you know, how much I love Nutella or how much I loved reading chapter books with them rather than reading um, stories from the textbook.
my students inspire me to be a better teacher find what I need to do to help them making the transition from English language learners to enrichment gifted was a big a big move and so this past year I had to focus on what my what I felt like my students needed from me which was social emotional um, specifically more so with the um, focus of perfectionism expect setting expectations for yourself um, experiencing failure when you're someone who's probably not experienced failure very much up until this point um, competition being kind to one another um, wanting others to succeed just as much as you want to succeed yourself my greatest hope for all children is my greatest hope for all children is that they see their value in the world and for some kids that's going to happen sooner and for other kids that might require overcoming some obstacles some some lies that some grown-ups told you when you were younger but that at some point in their life they know their value and why they're here um, and and to be honest I my own personal opinion is if they become little social justice leaders all the better I agree well, thank you, Laura. This was a pleasure to be able to talk to you. We talk about teaching all the time. Um, we have calls every day. And like I said, I volunteer every Definitely. day. Not every day, but a lot in your classroom. And, uh, you know, this is teacher therapy. So I hope that absolutely this and, and how you shared from your heart, your experiences and your story as a teacher, that it helps other teachers as well and uh and so good luck this year with everything i'm sure i will get a update every day and uh, i can't wait until i can visit the classroom and meet your new students face to face uh, as well so absolutely me too All you're right. welcome thank you thank you